Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We've just watched another episode, episode four, of The Power of the Daleks. I think this is the best Dalek episode so far of this story. You mean like one that features the Daleks? How so? Um, even before we get to the exciting end uh, with the, the production line, and even before we discover that there are more Daleks, I felt like they were doing an extra good job of showcasing the creepiness and the threat of the Daleks here. I mean, earlier on the in the earlier episodes, it's really fun to see the Daleks. You know, we are your servant, and you know that's that's creepy. But here, you get. You still get that, but there's so much more of an undercurrent of threat because now Lesterson, who is their biggest champion, is is even he's scared of them. And I like I was so annoyed by him in the first three episodes, mm-hmm. and he immediately like I'm just totally Team Lesterson. Like he just he makes this big change, and suddenly I am completely on his side. He's just I think the performance is just really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're put through, you know, we see them conspire, we see them, you know, it's one thing to, for them to be serving drinks and everything like that and saying we are your servant, but to actually, like, pushing it to the boundaries of putting a gun mm-hmm. in its hand, so to speak, asking it to shoot, and it does, mm-hmm. and then not shooting Janly, even though that's its greatest. And of course, it does shoot after the doctor, the first chance it can get, which is quite something. So there is that underlying bubbling threat of the Daleks and people, the humans being so naive to think that they can control them. Yeah, yeah Bregan being like, I am the leader of the Daleks. Oh, what hubris. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what else? Are we going to say anything else about the Daleks? I thought I had something. Oh, it's, it's also... Um, because, you know, no one else other than the Doctor knows the real story behind the Daleks and their background. That's why it's so awesome that Troughton, um, like, picks up a chair when the Dalek comes in a room and, like, you know, def- backs himself up against the wall and sort of brandishes it, like, defending himself, even though it's just sort of strolling in, you know. That's important. That's important for the actors to sort of, you know, convey this threat from because if because if, if it wasn't up if it wasn't for him the only person in the whole story who knows who the Daleks are then they wouldn't have that threatening menace so it's important for someone in the story i think to sort of show that as well mm-hmm. yeah and he does he does a great job i mean we only have a few stills mm-hmm. but it's just just seeing the the expressions on his face i am I am so enjoying this reconstruction in comparison to the animated. Yeah, this is this is mu- this is much more my jam. I'll come just because you can you can tell you can see Patrick Chouton's face even in stills. You can see that it, it's expressive. Yeah, like it's it's him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I love drawing and I love you know art and stuff and I think that that kind of stuff is great for comic books mm-hmm. where you are taking a brand new clean story and and making it happen. Um, this is, you know, the animated version of this is not that. It is basically a, 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 I can't think of the right word, but it's it's a measure taken so that people who need movement can. Right. Right. Whereas I, I don't need that. I, I need the story. That's mm-hmm. what I need. And what I would rather have is is to see how the actors themselves 
portrayed these characters and you cannot get that super well from from the animation like they you know they did an okay job but even if it was like perfect perfectly rotoscoped and stuff Mm -hmm. i just yeah i would i would rather have a handful of still pictures of patrick troughton doing his thing than you know lots of motion and and that's not to disparage the work of the animators because honestly i can think of Gollum in lord of the rings films and pretty much no one else when i think about you know expressions and like believable expressions that's you know um so it it's yeah that's what well i mean Gollum Gollum is the character like andy circus is yeah, not the character Gollum is the, you know he's the only one so if it was like a who framed roger rabbit thing and you had patrick trout and that's a real person right. and they run into a character that is solely animated which would have been a wild thing to try to do mm-hmm. on british television at the time uh, yeah not gonna happen but if they had done something like that then sure yes the animated figure is the character but that's uh that's not the case for like animated ben mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also like how um, Janley is like she basically lets her guard down. Not not the guard is well aware of what she's doing when she tells Lesterson that uh, that that uh, Resno is is dead. Um, thinking that you know you would think that at the moment that's when Lesterson sort of has his moments like you know what I'm going to shut the Daleks down if they get mm-hmm. too antsy. Um, but then she basically turns it around on on him and says well you were at fault you know you were didn't take the proper safety precautions so you're the one who's probably going to get blamed for this and blackmails him which is very sneaky it is sneaky and i appreciate her cunning in doing that but i also appreciate that lesterson doesn't entirely fall for it Mm -hmm. he basically said you know he says i'm not going to let you know i'm not going to be blackmailed by you and he doesn't do anything immediately um, you know, because the doctor and Ben show up. I don't even know if they would be the right people to to tell in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, as it turns out, Janley needs to like physically shut him down. She sedates him because she recognizes that he's probably not going to go along with her her blackmail. Like it was a nice plan, but it didn't actually turn out the way that the way that she wanted it to. Because at at his core, I guess I guess he is an okay scientist, even <laughs> though. He wasn't at first, but you know the just the the idea that uh, you know his research is not um, as important as human life. Like that's, I do feel like his actions earlier on did not bear out that it's a little convenient for the plot writing wise. But for him to just suddenly be like, oh no, humans are more important. If he really felt that way earlier on. Um, I I think that he probably would have checked on Resno earlier. I think that he would have been a little more cautious, especially when somebody who says that they have information about these things comes along and says they're bad. So, well, I think he trusted Janley enough at the time to sort of like you know, okay, Resno's fine, whatever. You know, she said that she's my assistant. I guess I've trusted her on things before, and also I think he was blinded by the prospect of this science. new dis- blind he was he was bl- blinded with science literally blinded by science he's blinded by this new discovery this new scientific discovery that could help change the colony for the better so i think he was just sort of like singularly focused on this thing that perhaps he had control of power over if you will uh and then once he saw that they could have power without him that's when he sort of thinks no you know, it's it's all, all this whole story is about how characters react to 
<laughs> the power of the Daleks. <laughs> That's what's so great about this story. Is that, you know, Janley thinks he can control it. Uh, Bregan thinks he can do it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, thinks he can't, but they all want to control it for different reasons. And that's, uh, mm -hmm. you know. I do, I also like um, that the Daleks, you know, they're, they're being sneaky, but at this, you know, at the very end of the previous episode, they kind of overplay their hand mm -hmm. a little bit in front of, of Lesterson, which, you know, is, is not surprising considering how it must grate on them as creatures to play servant like this, that, you know, the moment that they, they, they see the, the end is in sight that they sort of let go and mm -hmm. <laughs> celebrate Dalek style by chanting together yep. um, a little bit too much. In the traditional Dalek chant. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then him hiding and watching them conspire and being like, oh my God. And then, yes, there are more of them. That's, uh, it, it was fun to watch the realization. And that was, those are some good stills where you can actually see the look on his face mm -hmm. and how, how terrified he is. That's a, that was a good performance. It was, uh, he's been locked. I can't think of the actor's name right now, but he's been, uh, properly lauded by many a person, uh, over the years mm -hmm. for that performance. And of course the famous construction, construction, mm -hmm. um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Assembly. Assembly line uh, sequence with model Daleks and everything. Mo parts of which uh, actually exist. Mm. It's on the uh, moving clips uh, section of this um, on on this DVD that we're watching. I find uh, it very effective that Christopher Berry, who directed co-directed the very first Dalek story in 1963 and 64, um, and is also using the same music that Tristram Carey did for that in this, and also the same sound effects of the doors and everything too. Wow. There's a certain con continuity about it all, which I think makes it very effective. But one interesting thing that I noticed in this one, it's sort of a throwaway line, and it's never really picked up again, is when the doctor talks to Benny, so that, you know, they, they seem to get power, even though the floors aren't metal. And this is written by David Whitaker, and I'm wondering if David Whitaker is still drawing upon these, you know, the... Um, uh, the first Dalek story, which he script edited, because of course they needed uh, metal floors to go across, like bumper cars, you see, and then they had solved this problem, which is a plot point in Dalek Invasion of Earth. But ever since then, they haven't worried about how the Dalek can travel around. So I find that that one little thing I think was probably just sort of missed, perhaps, in the final final edit. Yeah, I actually I noticed that too because I was like, wait a minute, we've seen the Dalek since then, and they didn't need static, but. I here's my headcanon okay. um, and that is that uh, that this might have been a you know an offshoot like you know this is one capsule mm -hmm. so we don't know when it left Scarrow we don't know which Daleks these are True. so that, that could have been from an earlier time and as far as the doctor reacting to it this way he just regenerated. Yeah. yeah, you can you you can chalk a lot up to regeneration sickness. So his his brains are probably still a little bit scrambled, and that's why he's you know his first meeting with the Daleks was you know the, that's you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm -hmm. So that's what's that that sticks. So he probably is still remembering the static electricity. <laughs> that's probably what it was. I did think about the regeneration yeah. angle too. Yeah. Yep. One thing that I noticed uh, this time was, so you have the doctor being locked up and dumps a bunch of stuff out of his pockets and picks up a dog whistle and tries to use, tries to use 
sound mm-hmm. or sonic wow. waves to open a lock is this the first like is this maybe the you know the seed being planted for the eventual sonic screwdriver well i'll say this um the one of the production assistants uh on this and on location on Fury from the Deep, the actual first story with the Sonic Screwdriver, was one future Doctor Who director, Michael E. Bryant. So, who who actually provided, I think, the the pen light that they used for the Sonic Screwdriver on location at at Fear on Fury from the Deep. So I'm I know Victor Pemberton, who recently passed away. Of course, I know he he wrote that into Fury from the Deep, but I'm wondering if there were other elements that work here perhaps that Michael mm-hmm. E. Bryant sort of had an idea back in those days too. Because mm-hmm. yeah, that, that struck me immediately that he was trying to yeah. just find the right sonic frequency to get this this fairly simple lock to open. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh. There's a dog barking somewhere <laughs> off of the distance. I never picked up on that before. A dog barks. Oh, that was so funny. And I, I don't think I noticed it in the animated version, mm-hmm. but here because we have the linking narration with Annika Wills telling us, you know, he, he said, she said, you know, the, the, the lock doesn't open, but somewhere in the distance we hear a dog barking and then mm-hmm. you hear the dog barks. So that was nice that it was sort of called out. And yeah, we laughed. That's yeah. funny. There was another n- neat little thing, neat little touch. Because often when you're watching Studio Bound Doctor Who uh, and you try, you know, you have to sort of have that sense of disbelief mm-hmm. uh, that it's a much bigger world than what you're seeing on TV. And I like how they sort of, you know, hey, where's Polly? Well, this is a big colony, mm-hmm. a big planet. She might be anywhere. And then another scene where Bregan is like talking on video screen to like um to uh Hensel. Hensel. I'll keep wanting to call him Chin because he plays Chin later on oh. in the Clause of Axos. Uh, uh Peter back Um and I like that, you know, when are you gonna be back? Oh maybe a couple days. So they I like how they're like sort of it's not just this, you know, oftentimes in Doctor Who, they land on a planet where there's like one building and that's the entire <laughs> planet. Uh, but there this this colony extends for a lot a lot longer than than what we see. I think it's pretty effective. In fact, yeah, um, when the doctor is later in jail and he's talking to Quinn, mm-hmm. um, Quinn is saying, oh, well, Hensel is, is very popular. The miners and stuff, everybody in the outskirts, uh, really, really support him. So we could count on, on it, their support. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor's like, well, we need to get out of here and get, get in touch with him. So yeah, you're right. They, in very subtle ways manage to convey the fact that this is a, a, a much bigger place, that, that Vulcan is, is a big planet. Mm-hmm. David Whitaker. It's, it's handy having a really talented writer who was once a script editor who mm-hmm. probably had to prune all these big ideas out of scripts in his first year in Doctor Who and sort of probably thought about that in the back of his mind, mm-hmm. how he could properly sort of convey things without actually showing it. There's one there's one thing that I feel like is kind of glaringly missed, and that's something that I noticed in, in the animated version as well. Now, help me remember from earlier episodes, we've got... Lesterson, who's been trying to open this capsule, was was his office built around the entrance to the capsule or was the capsule brought into his workshop? The capsule, I believe, was brought into the workshop. But as you'll remember from, uh, I think, well, definitely the chase. And if my memory serves from Dalek's master plan, Dal- uh, Daleks have not only discovered time travel, but also dimensionally transcendental spaceships. See, I know that. Uh. The doctor knows that. Yeah. Lesterson would have no way of knowing that until he goes inside and discovers it. And 
I don't know, is is that something that we are missing, that the linking narration does not give us any clue to, that when he finds this second corridor, that that's, in this episode, that that's the moment where he realizes that it's dimensionally transcendent? Or is it just sort of skipped over because the audience already knows that? So he kind of, so Whitaker kind of forgot to put something in about that? Because I honestly thought that, okay, so here's a capsule that's brought into his workroom, just that room with the three Daleks in it seemed like they, it was probably bigger than what we saw from the outside. And we certainly didn't get any mention of it being like, oh my goodness, we've opened the door and look, it's bigger on the inside than the outside. Like I would have expected that line from somebody who didn't, who didn't know it. And Lesterson has been talking to himself quite a lot, even yeah. when there are Daleks right in the room with him on the other side of the table that he's hiding behind. So I felt like as soon as he, you know, if this was the moment in the episode where he's he's finding this extra hallway to walk down, as the linking narration tells us, mm-hmm. why isn't he whispering to himself, oh, you know, it goes on, it's bigger than it should be, or something like that, and there's nothing, which really kind of just, like, it makes my brain itch in a very uncomfortable way. I think the dramatic, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the dramatic... Uh, no, the dramatic push in that scene is the fact that Lesserson is discovering there are more than four Daleks and they're reproducing. I think it's, you know, it would sort of like stall the drama by him sort of stopping. Oh my God, there's da- this place is bigger on the inside. How did they do that? You know, it's building up to a cliffhanger. Sometimes you just sort of, I think sometimes when you are confronted with such a thing, you kind of ignore... Uh, a potentially even bigger thing that's happening at the same time mm-hmm. that is the discovery of something you know may you're, you're right i think we would like any missing doctor who i think we would discover so much more mm-hmm. by watching the moving pictures and to see how he actually transcends maybe he does like this little look or something like that to like wonder and then but you know listener Stephen just tilted his head and looked quizzically up at the ceiling thank you uh you know maybe he does that maybe he does that for a tiny little bit before sort of carrying on you know that's who knows we that's one limitation i suppose to watching still images yeah well i didn't remember noticing anything that would help with that in the animated version either i just that's just something that always it for me as a viewer it it makes it more difficult for me to sort of understand where everything is in relation to each other. And I mean, maybe for some people that doesn't matter, but I just, I found it pulling me out of the story a little bit the first time that that we watched this being like, okay, so how big is this thing? How, how far does it go in? Mm -hmm. Who, who knows that? And, and yeah, so it's just, that's, that's a thing that I wish, I wish either we could see people's, you know, I don't, I don't even think seeing a reaction would, would be enough. I feel like, I feel like that's something that like they needed a line. Well, let me tell you this. I'm not going to do it now because it's all the way over there uh, (laughs) and we're lazy Doctor Who. But for the next episode, episode five, uh, I have the original camera scripts for The Power of the Daleks. I want to see if there's anything written in there regarding uh, the, you know, Mm -hmm. any mention or or, a reaction to the potential of the ship being bigger on the inside than the outside. Okay. Make sure that you check the earlier episodes as well. Like when they first That's, enter. Sounds like a lot of work. What are you asking of me here? Yeah, well, I'm afraid that you started it. Uh, so this is what happens when we become a tiny bit unlazy. We just, we get stuck being a lot bit unlazy, right? That's how that works. That's totally how it works. Uh, is that it for this episode? 
Um, oh, no, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the, the assembly sequence at yeah. the end there, okay. which is so much more creepy and amazing with just these stills yeah. then and I, I look forward to seeing the the bits of, of actual moving footage but the the da- daleks being scooped out of the the liquid with the foam oh my god i may never sleep again that was just that was intense i was not expecting that and i mean yeah you see something in the animated version but i just i i guess i didn't know that they were like translating it so faithfully mm-hmm. it, but it really is that like whoa yeah mm-hmm. very very creepy and then having like electrodes shoved into it and thrown in the capsule and there you go new daleks that's how very crafty very crafty all they need are a few like supplies and they can just rebuild an army it's terrifying. It's the most terrifying Dalek story ever because they, they start with three seemingly inert Daleks and now they're building an entire army. And then at the end, you have the Daleks like counting and sounding off and like, you know, you can hear up to like 13 or 14 and the, the Dalek, you know, saying here or whatever, like a so slightly higher voice. It's kind of cute. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the rest of them being like, we are the new race of Daleks. And it's just like with a slightly lower voice. It's mm-hmm. like, ee! Uh, it was just yeah and everything is sort of it's cacophonous they're all speaking over each other it's happening at once i mean that's very dalek to a t uh and it's just that's that is one of the greatest i think episode endings i'm not going to say cliffhanger so much because it's not really cliffhanger it's just it's just a reveal of information Mm -hmm. but it is one of the greatest just ends of an episode i think in in all of doctor who history this is this is up in the tip top i think so too what a way to end this episode. My my one question to you is, are we going to watch any more episodes of Power of the Daleks before Tuesday? Possibly. Then I will hold off on talking about anything regarding Tuesday until then. Mm, hashtag teaser. Goodbye. Goodbye.